Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome. Thanks for being here with us this morning. If you are visiting, if you're new or newish to Oak City Church, um, we've over the years just various ways tried to connect with folks that are new and uh, we understand I mean, it's a process to um, engage with your faith and to engage with the church. And we, we really want to make that as easy as possible. And it, um, people can drag their feet in that process. And, and we really just, we want to accelerate that process because we think the, the church is so important and the body is so important. And so, but we want to make it like, um, I don't know, just accessible and, and give you guys every chance uh, that you can to get to know us and have your questions answered. So what we're doing this year is something called Lunch on Us, the third Sunday of every month. We're going to take whoever is newish that wants to get to know more about Oak City Church to lunch um, uh, right after service. So that's next Sunday. Uh, if you're new and, and uh, you're interested in that, please plan on that. And we're flexible with it. It'd be great if you sent uh, an email to info at oakcitychurch.com. If you know, yes, I'm in. We're doing this. Um, and then you have first choice on, like, where we go to lunch. So we can talk that out this week. Uh, but if not, just, if, just show up next week, and, and we'll be doing that. And, um, and we did it last month. It was great. I really enjoyed it. So we invite you to that uh, if you're new. Also, um, by way of announcement, and this is the sermon series that we're in, we are, we've relaunched our home groups this, um, this January, this season. And so there's a, a board out in the lobby that's got all our groups on it, and this is the time to check out a uh, home group, to check out a new home group, to, to bounce around a few home groups and see which one might fit you the best. But we'd strongly encourage you to do that um, over these next few weeks. If you live in the Cary area, uh, we, are, we have a handful of folks out there. We need a few more folks, and we can start a home group out there, but we're not sure who all is out there. So if you... Um, if you're out there, let us know, and, um, and we'll get in touch with you and, and figure that out. So, by way of um, just trying to get into uh, where we're going this morning with this, this series and this scripture, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a few phrases out there. I'm going to let you, I'm going to start them, and you're going to finish them, okay? So just, you, this is, you talk now, okay? Uh, actions speak louder. Good. Uh, don't judge a book by its good. Good job. Um, what what doesn't kill you only. Good job. The apple doesn't fall far from. Don't cry over. If you can't stand the heat, get out of the. Good job. And finish what you. Finish what you start. How many of you are good at finishing what you start? Well, good afternoon. Good afternoon. If, um, if you were listening to the podcast, I need to explain what happened here on Sunday morning. We had some problems with our audio recording software. So I think you got the first questions that I asked the audience, and then we had to shut that down. And, um, and now you're getting me uh, talking to myself in the main room on a Monday afternoon. And I'm going to be honest, it's pretty awkward. And right now you've picked that up. It is awkward. And so... We're just going to do this, so there's a podcast for you to listen to, and and who knows? We'll see how it goes. Maybe it's going to go really badly, and if you're new to Oak City Church, you're thinking, yeah, it's it's going badly. This is going really badly. And But if you've been around for a while, you might think, you know what? This is like some leftovers are better the second day, and so this is better. And so maybe every Monday afternoon, I'll come in here and talk to myself, but probably not. 
here is the, the continuation of my sermon after those initial questions, uh, ending with finish what you started. And so how good are you at finishing what you started? We did a ministry leader training uh, with our ministry leaders and their spouses um, a week ago, and it was a ton of fun. We did some Enneagram stuff, which is like the trendy new personality thing, but it's really useful, and it was great, and people thought it was great. But in any case, the certain personality types are really good at finishing what they started. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, sixes probably do that, and threes, and probably ones. And then certain personality types are probably, and this was affirmed after the message that Dana said, they're not good at finishing what they started. Eights will start all sorts of things and just too many things to finish, and they'll want other people to finish them for them. And then um, some folks, like fives and nines, will think way too much about whether or not it's a good idea to start stuff, that they won't start much stuff to finish. And so we're all in that realm when it comes to, to finishing what we started, and some things are harder than others to finish. So I read an interview with Ted Turner about 25 years, forever ago, and I don't remember. I read tons of stuff, and you know some of it sticks out. And this did. He he said that he purposefully set goals that he knew he could not accomplish in his lifetime um, because of his dad. His dad told him that, and his dad ended up taking his own life at age 50 because he had accomplished all his goals. He was a depression kid, he, um, and his goals were to be a millionaire, to own a yacht, and to like live on a plantation. They were from Georgia. And, and so he did all that, and you know certainly there were other factors involved in this, but he ended up taking his own life. And so Ted Turner is like, I'm going to set goals I will never accomplish. So his goal was world peace. He wanted to see world peace happen or whatever. Now, Ted Turner started CNN, which is the beginning of the 24-hour news cycle. So I would argue that he is... He has not done much to engender world peace. And in fact, I think he's done, he's worked against it pretty hard. And he, um, he was married and divorced three times. So he had a hard time keeping peace in his own home. And that, that, that can happen, you know, but, but um, you got to, if you're going to have peace outside, you're, you really need to, that needs to start at home if you're going to be able to do that. But still a laudable goal, world peace. And he's working at finishing what he started. He's given away like a billion dollars to the U.N., um, for the for the cause of world peace. Now, when I think about why we're here today, or yesterday, as it were, and you're listening to this podcast, we come on Sundays because we want to uh, we want to worship and we want to learn from God's word. We want to pray. We want to spend time with um, God's church, uh, with the body of Christ. But really, we do that for the broader goal of um, becoming more like Christ. We think that there's a job that's been started that we become more like Christ and. Jesus um, taught us to pray that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's a big goal. And those are goals that we're not going to finish. And so um, that's, that's, you know, in some ways good, but in some ways um, it's hard. It's hard to have a goal uh, for something that you know you're not going to see done in your lifetime. And so that's where I want to go today with this. We're in this series on home groups and um, why home groups matter and relaunching our home groups and so our definition of, of home groups is a group of people committed to each other's spiritual growth. It's a group of people. It's not a meeting. It's not a Tuesday night or Thursday night or Wednesday night meeting. It's a group of people that happen to meet throughout the week sometime in a home. And um, it is, they're committed and there's a level of commitment established by each group. They each have their own culture of commitment. 
based on where they are in life and, and all those things. And they are committed uh, to each other. You're not just committed to getting something out of it for yourself, which I think is how we approach everything in a consumer driven, radically individualistic society. We have to war against that. And uh, so it's each other and each other's spiritual growth. And so there is this common goal of becoming more like Christ and seeking God's kingdom and all that's wrapped up in a home group. And so when we were uh, talking about uh, what makes a good home group, um, one of the ways that we talked about that and trying to simplify it was, was in terms of inputs and outputs. What goes into a home group? You know, what, as a home group leader, like what's your menu of inputs that you can throw in there that would create the outputs that you want. And so when it came to inputs, we tried to get a little bit outside the box. You know, you, you need time. Um, you just need time and consistency and, um, relationship and longevity. You need that over a period of time, longevity so that you have relationships that have some substance to them. And so those things matter. You, you need authenticity and you need honesty. You need vulnerability, um, you need debate, you know, you need to be open to debate and conflict and maybe even reconciliation after you get through some good conflict. And that's what real relationships are like. And that's what we want in home groups. So that stuff matters. You need, you need to study the Bible because it's God's word is the foundation. And Ken went through that last week. And this is, you know, where we get our ideas of what the goal is, is from the words that God's revealed to us. And so you need that and you need prayer and you need, um, you should take communion together, you know, and some, some type of basis and, and you should serve each other and you should serve alongside each other. You should serve together. You should support each other. And sometimes that's going to mean, you know, people are going through it and, and you need to financially support the people around you. That's what the church does. And so those are all inputs. And then, um, finally a last category food should be one of your inputs. Um, if your group doesn't, doesn't share meals together on some regular basis, you're missing out on that. And, um, laughter, uh, but along with laughter, pain, because life is hard. And so you need to share the hard of life. And um, and you're not being real if you're not doing that. And celebration and fun, all those things need to go in. Now, when it comes to outputs, like what do we want, you know, six months from now, what do we want to see different? When we have these conversations, what, what, always, what it always comes back to for me is decision-making. Like, are we... Is the way that, and this gets to the the tree of the knowledge of good and light, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the um, in the Garden of Eden. And are we trusting? Are we trusting God with big decisions in our life? Is our decision making process evolving to where we trust Him more? And does that manifest us, itself in the way that we make decisions? And and so that's what I want to um, talk about today. And and what we the four things that we talked about in terms of outputs, and these these were on the screen for. You don't have this because it's a podcast, but these were on the screen that are one is growing our understanding of the Bible. And that's what Ken talked about last week. And, um, two is become more like Jesus. And that's what I'm talking about this week. Three is a goal of home groups is to pursue Christian community and to really live out biblical Christian community. And, um, and then, um, four is to make disciples. And so that's what we're talking about, uh, throughout this series. Now, um, this week, I'm going to talk about becoming more like Jesus, and really that's how is your faith making a difference in uh, how, you, how you live your life, and I think this is, you know, pretty important. So here's a bonus on the podcast. I'm going to skip something that I just don't think will make sense on the podcast because it's not on the screen. So there you go. I'll just cut a couple minutes out of that, 
and just move on to the next section. Um, and I'll say this, that I feel pretty, this, this sermon talking about becoming more like Jesus, every sermon I've ever preached has been about becoming more like Jesus. So it's a little bit difficult, like a little bit overwhelming to figure out, to narrow this down. Um, and so I'm narrowing it down by, by taking a few passages out of the, the book of Philippians in the Bible. And that's what we've been um, talking out of for this home group series, because uh, we just felt like it did a good job of talking about group life and church life and Dan gave us some context the first week of this series, talking about some of the characters in the Philippian church. Lydia, the woman who was um, a seller of purple threads, really successful businesswoman, uh, and kind of had the things, but was missing God. And so she was a God, a God fearer, a God seeker, and God found her. Uh, and then there was the, the slave girl that was um, really being like trafficked and used um, for the benefit of her masters. And so the, um, the slave girl was in that church and and the jailer and his family, where he was really brought to faith in Christ miraculously, um, you know, and go read Acts 16, you'll see all that. But we've got contacts. We've got some characters, and Paul is writing this letter to these characters. And so here is one of the passages where, where, where I think he gets into um, what does it look like to become more like Jesus? What are we looking at when uh, we have this goal of spiritual growth? So he says this in Philippians 1, 3 through 6, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of uh, Jesus Christ. And just in this passage, it's it's Philippians 1, um, verse 3 through 6. So go ahead and look that up because you don't have a screen because it's on the podcast. So, but he says a few things that are like, this is what church is about. This is group life. And so he says, I do this in all my remembrance of you, which is saying, man, I remember you guys. I think about you guys a lot. And I don't think, I don't know. I just don't, I don't think that people are out there thinking about me all the time, but people probably think about us more often than we think that they think about us. There you go. And so do you think that people think about you? And do you think about the people around you? And you're probably not going to think about all the people in the church. But if you're in a home group, hopefully you do think about those people on a regular basis. They come, they come to mind. And it's encouraging, you know, when you get a text or a phone call and, and you're like, hey, what you need? And, and they're like, well, I was just thinking about you. I just wondered how you were doing. And, um, and so that's an encouraging thing. And, and you need to do that for each other sometimes. If you're married... You know, hopefully you do that on a regular basis. If you have kids, you know, you should do that. And um, now you can text your kids while they're in school. So there you go. You can do that all the time. I um, just thinking about this this week. I think about the Quins. There's a couple that left left the church and moved to Portugal in December. I think about them all the time. I think about how we get them back from from uh, Portugal to the United States. And this got a big laugh yesterday, Kendall, if you're listening to this, Lisa, because people think about you too. And there was a, um, a thing in the news this week about they ranked 227 international cities based on quality of life. And Raleigh, Raleigh, Raleigh was number three, number three after two um, Australian cities. And you know where Lisbon was, Kendall? You know where it was? It was 109 out of 227 so I said yesterday, I said in church, we need to, we need to go get the Quins and bring, rescue them. And everybody cheered. So we'll be, we'll be there soon. Pack your stuff up. We're bringing you home. Okay. Um, so I remember you. I'm thankful for you. Uh, Paul says that. I thank my God and all my remembrance for you. Do you, are you thankful for people? You should not, 
You know, you should not go to sleep tonight and be, be, without saying to somebody in your life, I'm thankful for you. Uh, we should do that. I pray for you. And so as home groups, man, the number one thing we can do for each other um, to help each other grow spiritually is to pray for each other. And Paul says, we've been partners in the gospel. You've been partners with me since the first day in the gospel. And so we're partners in the gospel. And that means, you know, our fourth goal of home groups, make disciples. We've got to be making some disciples together and, and helping each other in that. But the last line in this verse, it's verse six. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion uh, at the day, at the last, at the day of Christ, of Jesus Christ. So that's, that, you know, in, in the language of finish what you started, that kind of changes the game because we didn't start it. It says God's the one that began the good work in you. God's the one that called you. God is that Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And, um, and so he is the one that started that work in you. He is the one that, that began the work of transformation and he's the one that's going to finish that work. And so you don't have the pressure of that work because God has promised that he's going to finish it. And that's great news for us. Uh, that means that your life has a story arc. It has a trajectory. And so as soon as you come to faith in Christ and accept who he is and what he's done for you, then you're like, you know, where you're going to end up is guaranteed that you are going to be conformed to the image of Christ. So your spiritual growth is God's responsibility. Um, and he has promised that he is going to, to finish the job. When we say that home groups are a group of people committed to each other's um, spiritual growth, we are nowhere as committed to each other's spiritual growth as Christ is to our spiritual growth. And so that's good news for us. So that's really the first point there. He's going to finish that job. It's his, his responsibility, and he's going to finish the job. Now, there's another Another couple verses in Philippians chapter 2, um, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, um, this, this adds some, you know, adds a little twist to that. So, God is the one that's doing the work, but he's clear that we have a part in it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this, this is what I put up on the screen for this salvation. And this is, this is super important. Salvation is not something you work for, but salvation is something that you work out. Salvation is not something we try to be clear on this every single week. It's not something you work for, uh, but it is something that you work out. And so, um, you know, with that, if you're, if you're, if you're newer to Oak City Church and you're not used to hearing this every week, salvation is something we need. You know, Ted Turner um, had problems keeping his marriages together because Ted, Ted Turner's a mess, but he's no more a mess than any of the rest of us are. And the Bible says that's because, you know, we've, we've gone our own way and rebelled against God and tried to be God in our life and thought we were smarter than God. And so we've made a mess of things. And so we need rescue from that because we can't fix it ourselves. And we and we need someone to clean up the mess, and that's what Jesus has done for us. He's worked for our salvation, so because in ways that we never could work for our salvation. And um, in Corinthians, it says that that He, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf, on your behalf, on my behalf, uh, that we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. And he took the consequences of our sins on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. And that's, again, the promise that the work is going to be 
completed and we are new creations in Christ. But, but Paul says, work out that salvation with fear and trembling. There's a lot of work for you and I to be about when it comes to um, following Jesus. And so this paradox is throughout the Bible. Um, I was reading the Exodus story earlier this week, and there's a part of that story where God says to the Israelites, and they're standing at the edge of the Red Sea, wondering what they're going to do because the Egyptian army is bearing down on them. And he says, you guys just hang out here. I got this. You just stand and watch while I rescue you. But then he tells Moses to, um, to, you know, to lift his arms up. And it doesn't even make sense why Moses has to lift his arms up. God didn't use his arms to like spread the waters out. It was a wind that blew all night long. And yesterday, um, at church, I did this silly yoga thing and I don't, sometimes jokes just don't land well. I thought it was funnier than they thought it was. And apparently it wasn't funny. And that probably wasn't funny what I just said either, but, but Moses has got his arms out and, um, and God uses him and God does this consistently. You know, there's another passage where, uh, where Paul says in first Corinthians five, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so it's God's grace that has made me what I am. Um, but he says, on the contrary, I've worked harder than any of the rest of the apostles, though it wasn't I, but the grace of God that was in me. He said, by God's grace, I am what I am, but I've worked harder than anybody else. But even my working harder than anybody else was God's grace in me. And so it's this combination of him working and us working. Um, in Philippians, just in the next chapter over in Philippians, Paul says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but here's what I do. I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so we, we strive towards something. We strain, we work out our salvation with fear and with trembling, straining. Uh, St. Augustine had a saying, he said, without, without, um, Without him, without God, we can't. We can't get the work done. Uh, without him, we can't. But without us, he won't. And I, that's, I put that up on the screen and said, man, that's hard. I, I use that a lot. It comes to my mind a lot. But I, it's just hard because it doesn't make sense to me. But it, it does seem biblically this is how God does it. And I have a friend um, that, that, that says, pray like it all depends on God. Right? But work like it all depends on you. And I think that's good advice. Pray like it all depends on God, but work like it all depends on you. And so this was the second point. Your spiritual growth, again, is God's responsibility. He's going to finish that job, but he's given you a part to play in that spiritual growth. And you got to play that part in that spiritual growth. And so that matters. Now, next passage I went through was Philippians 3, and this is verses 20 and 21. And again, Paul's, you know, right into this little church and, and there's just a lot to glean about what it means to become more like Jesus. And so he says this, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So our citizenship is in heaven. We wait for Jesus to come back from heaven. And Jesus is going to transform. This is the work that he's going to finish. You know, when we meet him face to face, he's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now that means a lot of things. And there's a lot of other passages in scriptures that indicate we are going to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Um, the, the, Paul says this in Romans 12. Uh, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed uh, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll discern what God's good, perfect, and acceptable will is. And, and then your decision-making is going to be changed. All of that is going to lead to you becoming more like Jesus and living a life that looks more like Jesus's life. And so this is it. Like we, the goal is for us to become more like Jesus. That, that is the spiritual growth that God wants. Now, um, that, that could mean, what does that mean? What does it mean for me to look more like Jesus? What does it mean for you to look more like Jesus? You know, like I don't, I, I can't help but think of just all the probably bad pictures that we've seen of Jesus wearing sandals and with long hair, and I'm not going to grow my hair out and, and wear sandals. And I don't think that's what he wants us to do. So what does it look like in our individual lives to become um, more like Jesus? And that's hard. That goes in a lot of different directions. A, um, a couple weeks ago, uh, Dan, in his sermon, talked about growth charts, you know, and, and um, if you have kids, you got, you got a growth chart somewhere in your house on a wall. If you were a kid, your parents had a growth chart on their wall, and they tracked every, every year or every six months. They measured you, and it was, you know, a big thing when, um, when you grew. And when, if you grew, like, a significant amount during a six-month period, your parents would be like, hey, good job. You must have been you must have eaten your vegetables, which is a lie because that has nothing to do with your vegetables. It has everything to do with your gene pool. My, um, my second son, Matthew, uh, we just had a significant growth chart moment because he, he at 15 exceeded my height. And so good for Matthew, good for all of us. Uh, we're happy for him. That had nothing to do with vegetables. It had everything to do with the fact that um, my, my wife, Bobby Joe's brothers are both six foot five, you know? And so the day that, that we got married, I realized I was improving the Ramsey family gene pool significantly. And so Matthew should thank me for marrying a woman with tall brothers. And that's, that's why he's done that. And so that's good, you know? Um, but, and, and so there's growth charts, but I realized something about, about, about growth charts. And so this was up on the screen. So I'll repeat this a few times. Cause I think this matters. He said, I said, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out what causes physical growth but it's easy to measure it. Um, it's not that hard to figure out what causes spiritual growth, but it's pretty hard to measure it. So it, it's hard to figure out what causes physical growth. I mean, it's, it's genes for sure. And maybe what you eat and how much sleep you get. And it just varies at different times and you can't predict it, but it's easy to measure it. Cause you, you put a kid up against a wall and put a level there and you find out how much they've grown. It's not that hard to figure out what causes spiritual growth, you know, like spend time with God in his word. Like, don't just read the Bible, but like, say, God, I want to spend time with you through your word. You're going to grow. Spend time in prayer alone and with other people, and you're going to grow. Uh, worship, you know, really worship. Bring your first fruits to the Lord in worship and, and um, you know, seek him and seek his presence. And you won't be in the presence of God for long without being changed. You're going to grow. And spend time, good time, quality time, intentional time with other folks that are pursuing Christ and you're going to grow like those things aren't hard to figure out, but it is hard to measure. Have I grown? Like ask yourself that question. How much have I grown or how have I grown in the last six months? And I think that's, that's a hard question um, to answer. There's a, a Psalm. Sorry, I needed a drink. Uh, there's a Psalm that someone brought up in my home group this week. It's Psalm 1. And so blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And that's part of what I just said. Someone who is spending time around people that are pursuing Christ, and they have a delight in God's word, um, and they meditate on God's word. And then he says, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither, and in all that he does, he prospers. Uh, and so that you do those things and you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water and just a guarantee that there's, it, there's going to be growth. It's going to go well. Um, now what that looks like, I, I don't, it's different. Like we might all be different types of trees that bear different looking fruit. I mean, that's, I mean, there's the fruit of the spirit. There's love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in some ways those things look the same, but in some ways they look different based on your circumstances and your personality and your family and all that stuff. So how do you, how do you measure those? And honestly, like after 20 years in ministry, that is the thing that drives me the most nuts is that, um, there are things we can measure, but the things that matter the most are really, really hard to measure. So in going through this, these passages in Philippians, there were a few things that stuck out to me where I thought, Oh, this, this, I think this would indicate, this would help somebody understand if they've grown spiritually over a period of time. So, so I want to, I just read Philippians 3, 20 and 21. I'm going to back up to verses 17 through 19. And Paul says this, he says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Uh, and so again, you know, imitate me. Keep eyes on those walking according to the example you have in us. Like the people that are around you, they matter, you know. Um, but then Paul says, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And so I think he's talking about people that were walking with Christ for a period of time but now aren't walking with Christ. And it breaks his heart to talk about these folks. And if you have walked with Christ for any amount of time, like you probably had that happen. You know, you've had folks that were following him. And I mean, you can read this stuff all the time about pastors that have moral failures. I mean, just, it happens all the time. It's horrible stuff, you know, but like people that are, but have just left it. And then he makes some comments about them that I think speak to spiritual growth. So he says they're, their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. And I remember early in my walking with Jesus, like reading that and thinking, what is he talking about? But that makes perfect sense, you know? And so I asked the question yesterday, do our appetites dictate the course of our lives? Maybe to what extent do our appetites dictate our decision-making? To what extent do our appetites dictate our decision-making? And that will help you figure out spiritual maturity. Um, you know, we did Christ's appetites dictate his decision-making one appetite. And it was the appetite to please his father in heaven that dictated his, he submitted to the will of his father all the time. Like that was it and denied himself. I mean, coming from heaven to earth was an act of denying himself to satisfy his fathers in heaven and not his own appetites. He became 
cold and dirty and hungry and poor and mocked and spit upon and gave up his glory to, you know, to, to rescue us. Um, his, his appetites were not dictating the course of his life. And I, in our culture, man, that's such a big deal. I think we have, we have like an internal alarm that sees a bright, shiny object and thinks I need to go get that like bright, shiny object. I need to go get it. And it's like, like one of those submarine movies where they, they say change course to whatever. And they go to that course and increase speed to port or whatever they do. But like, just let's go get it. Um, Let's go after it. And that's our culture. You know, we have mottos like just do it. Or if it feels good, do it. That's saying whatever appetite you have, you need to satisfy that appetite. But here Paul says their God is their belly. I get saying their appetites are dictating the course of their life. Has that changed for you since you started following Jesus? Right? It doesn't mean that we don't see, I don't see bright, shiny objects all over the place and, and like alarm bells go off in my mind thinking, Oh man, that looks good. I bet that'd be fun. You know? Um, and that could be all sorts of things, you know, that could be Amazon, like it'd be stuff. It could be, um, guys or girls now increasingly porn, you know, it can be people It can be coveting your neighbor's, um, spouse. It can be wanting a new house, a better job, whatever the greener grass is on the other side of the fence, you know? And so it doesn't mean you don't see those things anymore, but you react a little bit less impulsively when you see them. And then you start filtering through like, okay, um, what would God's word say about that? Or what is the, Ken talked about the meta narrative last week. What is the big picture of the gospel tell me about me and about that thing. And, um, and now you understand, like, here's who you are. You are um, not the sum of the things that you consume, but you are one that's made in the image of God. And you've got a fundamental problem that only God can fix. And so, uh, you, you seek him for that, you know, and, um, and you don't need the bright, shiny objects to like give you this temporary satisfaction because, all through the Bible, it talks about different forms of idolatry and what that leads to. And so you do that and you got people close enough to you that like they're pursuing Christ too. And so that encourages you and you can talk to them about, you know, the decisions that you're thinking about making and, and that just changes the way that you live your life. And I think that's, I mean, I can look at that and think, man, I, yeah, that works differently for me now than it did, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago, or hopefully even a year ago. Um, my, my God is not my belly in any way, shape, or form the way that it used to. He says they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. And so, man, can you think of a time in your life or times in your life where you got glory? Like, you know, um, I, I say this a lot to about teenagers, but you, you are going to become the type of idiot that your friends want you to be. And so... Did you just become an idiot because the people around you wanted you to? And so you got glory out of that and people exalted you. But it was really something in hindsight that you should have been ashamed of. And I, I can think of lots of things that I don't want to talk about. And nor should I talk about because there would, it would, it would, there's no need to. Jesus has taken our shame on the cross and so we don't need to. But has that changed in you? Has that changed in you? And just the fact that there's conviction about these things would indicate that things are changing and Paul says their minds are set on earthly things. 
And so when your God is no longer so much your belly, then your mind is not set on earthly things the way that it used to be. And so you invest less and less of your time and your money and your energy and your passion to pursuing things that have no lasting value. And instead, you're pursuing the things that Christ pursued. And um, it made me think of John 13, where Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And then a few chapters later, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that is the, just the exact opposite of the, their God was their belly. You know, either you pursue all your appetites because you think this is going to make me happy or you lay down your life for your friends. You cannot do both those things at the same time. And when Jesus says you lose your life to save your life, um, that means you'll have to delay some gratification and trust that he's smarter than you about how life works. And, and that, that's going to work out well for you um, when you're trusting him like that. So like those to me are indicators of, are we growing spiritually? Are we making decisions differently than we used to? Are we investing time and energy and money and passion differently? Uh, Paul, at one point in this letter to the Philippian church says, he lists all his accomplishments and all the things that were to his credit in the world. And he says, man, now I count all these things as loss, as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ and becoming more like Christ. And, and that's it. And that's what he did. And that's what we're called, uh, that's what we're called to do. So are you, you know, do you, in that, do you hear echoes of things that you know are true of you? Like, are you... Um, growing spiritually, if there were a growth chart, you know, can you measure that? And this is part of why you need people around you. This is why you need a home group and a group of people that are going to walk with you over a long period of time, you know, because you need them to, to, as the beginning of the passage said, remember you and be thankful for you and pray for you and partner with you in the gospel. But you need them to know you well enough that they can see when you're growing and say, you know what? I really feel like you are different than you were when I met you or a year ago or whatever it is, or a group of people, um, that have enough courage to say, you know what? I don't think you are growing. Like, <laughs> I think you're just being way too passive when it comes to your spiritual growth. And I think you need to pick up your game and, um, and you need people that are willing to say that to you too. So, uh, what does it mean that he started a work that he is going to finish, you know, start, start, finish what you start. And, um, and what, what does all that mean? What does all that mean for us? I, uh, I got into ministry 20 something years ago and, um, I was, I moved down to Raleigh to, for a job with a, with a software company down here and, and started going to a church at the time. It was small called Hope Community Church. It was like 150 people and started working with the teenagers and, you know, God was doing great things at the church. And, and I'd just been involved in some ministries for the few years before that. And there was nothing that was more exciting than seeing God change someone's life. And so that when God said, Hey, I think not, I think I got to say, I think this, but he called me into ministry. I thought, yeah, I totally want to do that. But if I ever get bored of God changing people's lives, I need to quit immediately. And I haven't been bored over 20 years of watching people, God change people's lives when, but it, but I've been frustrated that it's hard to measure. And so when Lisa and Kendall, um, 
you know, began that process of, of leaving. And I said this too yesterday, um, Lisa and Kendall, if you're listening, that I think it's my, I think it's my fault that it took so long and there was the Amsterdam thing. And then that fell through. I think God just needed to give me time to get used to the idea that you guys were going to leave. But when they, when we were going through all that stuff, I thought about what, how God has used the church in a lot of people's lives. And the Quins were emblematic of that and how I can't, I don't know exactly how they changed. Like, but I know, I know they have, and they know they have. And, and so I said this before they left, that if, if you're, you know, if you had a scale of zero to a hundred and you're the rate with which you're pursuing Christ is somewhere on that scale. Um, I, when the Quins came, like they were just getting started with Christ and they were at like a 10, you know, and, and they, they would say that, like they were just figuring out what it meant. Um, what that, that salvation is not something you work, work for. It's something that you work out. And then they need to understand. And, and um, some of you, so this yesterday, some of you that are listening may be new to this. And you need to understand that. Like, there is, it is not something you work for. That is what all religions are, is um, I obey, therefore God accepts me. That is all religion. But Christianity, the gospel, is something different. Is I am accepted because of what Christ, because of Christ's obedience, therefore I obey. I'm accepted. And uh, we love because he first loved us. I'm accepted and called and drawn. Therefore, um, he's making me more like Christ. C.S. Lewis said that um, he doesn't love us because we're good. He makes us good because he loves us. And so it's something different. But once you realize that, uh, you need to receive what he's done for you. You need to accept who Jesus is, that he was the son of God, um, you know, become flesh, come down here to, to live the perfect life and die the perfect sacrifice for our sins and rise from the dead. Um, to show us he has the power of sin and death. And when you realize that and what he's done for you, then, then you've become a Christian and you've really believed in who Christ is. And then you should get baptized. And, and so when the Quins came, like they went through all that and they got baptized. And when they left, they were like, they had walks with Christ that we all admired. You know, they were in the 90 range or something and, and they had grown. And so those are questions to ask yourself, like, have you grown, you know? It, and if you're brand new, like the question isn't, have you grown? It's, am I a Christian? That's the question to ask yourself. But if you've been around Oak City Church or another church for a while, it really is, um, have I grown? Is anybody close enough to know whether or not I've grown? And if you have, um, man, thank God that that's the case. And thank God that your spiritual growth is his responsibility, that he is going to finish that job, um, that, you know, take seriously the part that he— um, that he gives you in it and, and know that one day he's going to finish that work and, and make you just like him. And our citizenship is going to be in heaven and we're going to be in a place where, you know, we'll achieve world peace because, because God will have finished his work and we look forward to that day. So I don't know how to finish this. This is awkward. It's a podcast. It's the end. So, all right. Well, thank you for listening. And, um, and, you know, I'd love to know that you listen. So you can email me at jeff at oakcitychurch.com. It will be entertaining for me to know that somebody listens to this. You can let me know, honestly, how it went. And uh, we will see you next Sunday.